Several years ago, some people surveyed folks that lived to be 95 years and older who were still uh, doing well. And they asked them, this is pretty significant, if you were living your life over, if you were starting over with what you know now, what would you do different? And they, they gave three things kept coming up. One, they said, we would reflect more. We'd think about things more. We would we would examine our lives more. Secondly, we would risk more. So many of us live cowardly lives, close to the vest, never stepping out and doing anything. We would risk more. And I love the third thing. We would do things, a lot more things that we're going to live past our life. In other words, if we were starting over, we would try to make a difference in our life that was going to matter beyond our life. We are in a sermon series called Your Calling. We started on it last week and kind of touched on some things, but this morning in 2 Corinthians 5, if you have your Bible, we're going to talk about God's calling on your life. I touched on this last week. Everyone in this room, God has a call on your life. If you're not a Christian, you're watching uh, on the internet or you're here this morning and, and you're not a Christian, God's calling you even today to follow Him, to give your life to Him. If you're a Christian, boy, I'm going to really swing the bat at you this morning because, listen, God has a calling on your life. God has a purpose for your life. And, and this is a, it, to me, it, it involves risk, man. And, and you got to, it's a reflective thing. I mean, it's a thoughtful thing. But it's also something that if you will do this, your life is going to matter for not only beyond your life, but for eternity. I want to try to answer two questions, the what and the why this morning. What are we talking about and the why? But let's begin, first of all, with the what. What is your calling? Now, when I talk about calling this morning as a Christian, I'm not talking about necessarily your vocation. I mean, you, you can be a preacher and not do this. You can be a coach or a teacher, a businessman, a salesman, a, a stay-at-home mom. You can be retired, a lawyer, doctor, whatever it is. And if you're a Christian, this is what you are supposed to be doing. In verse 20, listen to what it says. This is kind of the theme verse for our series. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As God is making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ be reconciled to God. Now, in the simplest sentence, God's call on your life as a Christian is that you are to be his ambassadors. But what in the world does that mean? No, he says the word we starts it with a plural. He's talking about the people in Corinth. He's talking about himself. He's talking about you and me this morning, 2,000 years later in Ruston, Texas. He says, we are ambassadors for Christ. We are ambassadors. What is an ambassador? A very simple definition is that it's a, a senior representative. It's a, a big shot. Webster's Dictionary defines an ambassador as a representative of the highest rank. A representative is someone who represents a foreign country, lives in that country for his government, for his president, for his king. In the United States, being an ambassador is a huge thing, just like it was in Paul's day. In the United States, to become an ambassador, the president that's President Trump now, it's President Obama in the past, has to nominate you. And then the United States Senate, if you don't know who that is, that's that 100 group of people who've been acting like idiots the last three months uh, up in Washington, D.C., they have to confirm you. So, I mean, it's, it's not like you come in America and I say, yep, heads or tails, you can go. Where do you want to go? France, you can go to France. But when, the, when you get appointed as an ambassador, 
for the United States, you got, let's say you go to France, you go to France, you are a representative of our president and our government on a foreign soil. You live there. You want to be friendly to them. You want to reach them. You're trying to connect that country and our country, our leaders and their leaders. In Paul's day, the world was dominated by Rome. Rome divided all their kingdom into two provinces or two states. One type of state was called a Senate-led state. That was peaceful. Things were well there, and the Senate oversaw that. The other state or province was called an emperor-led state. And the states that were, or provinces that were led by the emperor were at war or were hostile to Rome. Those were the places like Israel was in Jesus' day where the Roman government had the soldiers there. That's where you sent the ambassador. The ambassador was going to a hostile land to try to breach the gap between his leader and the leaders of that people with the emperor, the Caesar of Rome, and those people. And folks, God has said this. This is so cool. Again, if you're not a Christian, you become one today. This becomes your calling. But God says you, regardless of your education, regardless of your past, Regardless of your present, God has called you to be an ambassador for the King of Kings. You were called to be a representative, an ambassador connecting heaven and earth for God. And, and, and this is an ambassadorship. We're trying to bring people to Jesus Christ is what the calling is. It's a tremendous thing. In Philippians 3.20 over in the New Testament, listen to what it says. We are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. Here's the strange thing about becoming a Christian. When you become a Christian, you're still here on this earth, right? Yes, pastor, I am. Most of you may not be here mentally, but you're here physically right now. But God says your home is in heaven. That's where your citizenship is. But I, I've left you here to be my representative. This is the coolest thing ever if we'd ever get a hold of it. God says, I want you to be my hands and my feet and my mouthpiece here on this earth. I've left you to be my representative. Look in, in verse 11, it says, but we, because we understand our fearful responsibility to the Lord, we work hard to persuade others. Again, he's talking about persuading others, peoples to come to Jesus. He talks in verse 20 about imploring them. And that's a polite word to say, beg people to come to Jesus. The word persuade in your Bibles means to entice I really try to convince. It's to work hard to win people over. The Greek culture Paul lived in, in the Greek city of Corinth, they love persuasion. They're kind of like people in Ruston. They like to argue. They like to debate. They like to show how smart they were. They, and then they were smart like people in Ruston. They like rhetoric. They, they, and they love persuasion. In fact, they had a goddess they called the goddess of persuasion. In the city of Corinth where Paul's writing to, where he had been in, they had a temple where they worshipped persuasion. They loved persuasion. So when Paul said per- persuasion, they probably all set up at this. And what Paul said, listen, don't go to some temple and worship some false goddess persuasion. But I want you to spend your life, expend your life as a coach, as a teacher, as a young person. You don't start this when you get old. You start it right now. As a doctor, lawyer, Indian chief, whatever you do as a preacher. Think about that. Even preachers are supposed to do this. I want you to spend your life trying to persuade other people, plead with other people, and bring other people to Jesus Christ. Now, I know what some of you are saying right now. Preacher, that's just not my gift. That's not my gift. I'm not gifted spiritually. If you know much about spiritual gifts, I don't have the gift of evangelism. Now, 
write this down if you're taking notes. Nowhere in the Bible does it call evangelism a gift. There are spiritual gifts that God gives all believers. In Ephesians chapter 4, it talks about God appointed some to be leaders in the church, apostles, prophets, teachers, evangelists. An evangelist in that setting was not a gifted individual versus a non-gifted. It was a preacher. It was like a Billy Graham or a revival person that came in and has the ability, maybe not to be a pastor, but to preach and, and to draw people and large crowds of people to Jesus Christ. Listen, this is the coolest thing ever if you get a hold of it. God has got such a purpose for your life. God's left you here. God's left you here to be the representative of the King of Kings to persuade and to lead other people to Him. It's not the job of some trained professionals. I want to quote you. This is a great quote. I don't know who this guy is, but he deserves credit. His name's Elton Trueblood. Listen to what he says. Evangelism. Persuading people for Christ is not the job for a few trained professionals. It's the unrelenting responsibility for everyone who belongs to Jesus. Did you hear that? It's, it's not biblically, it's not the job for, for just us who get paid to do this. Well, well, I'm not going to be a missionary. I I, want to be a salesperson. I want to be a veterinarian. I want to be a a policeman. I want to be a sheriff. I want to be a lawyer. That's great. But in, that may be exactly where God wants you. And in that, God wants to use you to help other people cross the line with Jesus Christ. Several years ago, I read a blog, and it was talking about 18 to 24-year-olds. And it said so many of them struggle to find their purpose. And the, only, the reason I think they said 18 to 24-year-olds is that's the only people they interviewed. Because here's the truth, 14 years old, 12 years old, 34 years old, 44, some of you are 54, 64, 74, and you've never really figured out what God has left you here for. I want to tell you something that can light your fire and change your life. I know one of the purposes of your life, and that's to spend your life trying to persuade other people and bring other people to Christ. Now, I want to answer the next question this morning, and that's the why. Why should we do this? It it ought to be good enough that, that God tells us to. That ought to be convincing enough. But God gives us some reasons, and next week we're going to see some more. But, you know, it's interesting. One word he says is the word fear. Why, why, should, why should you? I'm a salesperson. Why should I be doing this? I'm just a student. I'm in the seventh grade, eighth grade, fifth grade. I'm a senior in high school. Why should I be doing this? God says fear, and he gives us two concepts of fear. Here's the first thing, and that's the fear of God in our judgment. That's the fear of someday when we stand before God and have to give an account of our life here on this earth. I preached on this a few weeks back. In verse 10, it's a scary verse, for we must all stand before Christ to be judged. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we have done in this earthly body. That's talking about Christians. Some scholars believe that's primarily talking about Christians. But it's certainly, I think it's talking about everybody, that all of us are going to be judged by God. We're going to, I don't understand all that, how a Christian's going to get to heaven. The Bible says you can get to heaven and smell like smoke. So we're going to be judged. We're going to give an account for our life. And one of the things apparently we're going to give an account for is found right under this in the context, verse 11. 
Because we understand our fearful responsibility to the Lord, we work hard to persuade others. It's almost like God through Paul is saying, one reason that you ought to share Christ with everyone you can, to be an evangelist, even if you're a salesman, to be a soul winner, even if you're a, a professor at tech, Because someday you're going to answer to God, and I'm going to answer to God for how we have done here. The word fearful in your Bibles, it's a powerful word. It can mean terror. It can also mean reverence and a respectful fear. Proverbs 1-7, way over in the New Testament. We're going to do a series in Proverbs in the spring. It's a great book. The fear of the Lord is the foundation of knowledge. A respect and a and an understanding that God is God and you're not and that, that we bow to Him. He doesn't bow to us. And it doesn't matter how much money or power or influence that we have or our parents have or our grandparents have. God is God and we're not and we owe Him a humble fear and respect. And God says, someday you're going to stand before me, Christian. And I'm going to want to hear your excuse. Why you didn't witness to that friend. Why you didn't invite those family members to church. Why didn't you sit down and explain the gospel? What's your excuse going to be? Bad theology? Not my gifting? Not my thing? Well, I like to sing. I like to teach. i just not into that. This is a call for all of us. And that we will be held accountable the book of Ezekiel in the Old Testament, it's a, it's a tough book to read. If you're a new Christian, I'd wait a couple of years. It's kind of like the book of Job. Don't dive into it immediately. Ezekiel 33, 8, I want you to see what it says. It says, God's saying, if I say to the wicked, we could say to that someone who doesn't know God, oh, wicked one, you will surely die, and you don't speak to warn them, the wicked one, to turn them from his way, that person will die in their sin, but his blood I will require your hand. That verse makes me, it almost makes me sick. It's so powerful. To think someday that, that people that I have failed to share Christ with, people that have been in my sphere of influence as a pastor, I coached for a little bit, as a coach, as a teacher, as a brother, as a sister, people that you interact with and I interact with and that, that die without Christ and go to hell and that, that God's going to say, let me see your hands. There's blood on your hands, the blood of their soul. You see, God says one reason we should be sold out to this, one motivation is fear. Coach Brown, I won't ask you to say anything publicly, but fear works with football players sometimes, doesn't it? Sure it does. Fear works with students. It works with employees. It ought to work with Christ followers, the fear of God. But here's the second thing, and that's our fear for those who don't know Christ. Our fear for those who don't know Christ. Again, in verse 11, because we understand our fearful responsibility, we work hard to persuade, to plead, in verse 20, to beg other people to come to Christ. Beg them. I want to ask you, when was the last time you begged somebody to give their life to Christ? Oh, I wouldn't do that. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm too cool. I'm too prideful. I wouldn't do that. Mm. God would. Jesus would. Paul did. Beg you to come to Christ. Why is this? Revelation 20:15 is one of many verses. And anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. 
The book of life is the book that has every saved person's name in there. I believe your name can be in there if it's not today. It's your choice. God loves you. Jesus died for you. The Holy Spirit's trying to draw you even this morning. Part of my job today is to be an ambassador to invite you to Christ. But listen, every person in this room who's a Christ follower, your job is to be an ambassador for Jesus Christ. And people are dying and going to hell without Jesus. Do you believe that? Do you really believe that? You know who Bruce Willis is? Bruce Willis. Raise your hand or I'm going to think you're all cinematic idiots. You know, he's an he's a actor, not somebody that lives in Dubai. There may be a Bruce Willis there too. Bruce Willis, I like him as an actor, but here's what he said a few years ago. It's in USA Today. Bruce Willis said, from what we know from modern science today that there's no way hell could exist and those Christians need to quit trying to throw the fire and brimstone to convince us. Science has proved that hell doesn't exist. You know, I didn't do great in science in college, but I'm going to tell you, nobody two years ago was working in a test tube in a chemistry lab and did this and went, wow, there's no more hell. We just proved it. Science, science hadn't proved hell doesn't exist. How ridiculous. Bruce, Bruce Willis is a great actor, but theologically and scientifically, he's a moron. Sorry. Okay, he's not real smart. Is that better? I, I, I tell you what, I'm going to go with Jesus in the Bible over Bruce Willis. And see, here's, here's, here's some of your problems and my problems. We do not want to face this. We don't want to face it for ourselves, but we don't want to face it for those we love because to say that my kid may not know Christ, that my wife or my husband may not know Christ, that my brother or my sister or my friends, it's easier to ignore that or to push it away or to say, well, you know what? Because they know me and they're good people, they're going to be okay. That's not what the Bible teaches at all. Jesus said, if you die without him as Savior, you will spend eternity separated from God in hell. I had a wonderful class my first semester in graduate school. I had a great teacher named Malcolm McDowell. And Dr. McDowell said early on in this class, and this class was about being Christ's ambassador. He said, until you really buy in to the fact that hell is real... And that's where people go without Jesus Christ. You will never be passionate about leading people to him. You just don't do it for good reasons or good causes. It's not like selling cookies, which is a great, I'm a great fan of that. The fear of what lies in store of people who die without Christ should motivate us. I want to give you one last thought this morning that I think is important that goes in the text. Don't worry about what other people are thinking and live out your calling. You see, the thing that's keeping many of us from being Christ ambassadors, some of us don't care or we just don't get it. Some of us, we want to do this, but man, is this going to be tough. And, and what are other people going to think about us? Men's Health Magazine several years ago listed men's top ten fears and men. We can talk about this after church. I think I, the order I don't know about, but I think we would. some of us would agree. They said number one is the fear of heights. I don't like heights. And if I had to change that light bulb, you put, better put a parachute on me and about three trampolines under me. I don't, I, I'm a little uncomfortable with that. The second one was the fear of being maimed. That's not a good fear, is it? I mean, that, that's, are you uncomfortable with the thought of falling off your riding lawnmower and the blades keep going and you live and you're maimed? That, that's... That's a fear, right? Fear of snakes was number three. 
Are you afraid of snakes? We have a picture of a snake. That's when you send your wife out with the hoe, right? Don't you, don't you love those people who say, oh, you shouldn't ever kill a snake. No, I think you should. That's my vote. I go out after a snake. One of us is going to die. And, and I, I'm going to do my best to make sure he goes on to hell, right? I am not trying to win that snake to Jesus, okay? <laughs> he, 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 can, he can leave the premise. Let me tell you what really what. Can I tell you, ladies and girls, what men's biggest fear is? We don't, we don't want to look bad, really. We just don't want to be embarrassed. I'm more afraid of that than I am of snakes. Relevant magazines, a Christian magazine. This is, this is uncomfortable. Probably two years ago, they listed primary reasons Christians, professing Christians, don't share their faith. One is we're afraid of controversy. We just want everything to be good. Number two, we're just ashamed of the gospel and Jesus. We just know it's going to cause us a little grief, and we don't want anybody We don't want anybody to look down on us. Verse 12 and 13 should settle this. Paul says, are we commending ourselves to you again? No, we are giving you a reason to be proud of us so that you can answer those who brag about having a great ministry rather than a sincere heart. I love verse 13. If we seem we are crazy, it is to bring glory to God. If we are in our right minds, it is for your benefit. Here's one of the great things about the Apostle Paul. Regularly, people thought he was crazy. Isn't that wonderful? Listen, I want to tell you, if you start living out your calling as God's ambassador, some people are going to think something's wrong with you. You're in good company if that's true. Paul's saying right here, some people think because we say Jesus died and arose and he's the way to heaven that we're crazy paul didn't care listen paul had the equivalent of two phds if you don't know what that means that means that he was very 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 well educated and in acts chapter 26 he's speaking before these roman leaders and he's sharing jesus jesus died jesus arose the gospel you need jesus one of them festus just interrupted and he said paul you are crazy it didn't paul didn't bat an eye he just kept talking Isn't that great? How many of you know Jesus? You know who he is? If you're a Christian, you're supposed to be like who? Who? Jesus. That's very weak. You're supposed to be like Jesus. In Mark chapter 3, you know what they said about Jesus? They said he's cray-cray. They said Jesus is crazy. So, how, how, listen, if you're following Jesus, if if you are trying to persuade people to come to Christ... And lifting up Jesus, why do you think they're not going to think something's wrong with you too? But do it anyway. Do it anyway. Man up and do it anyway. I I heard of a man, he was in the Marine Corps, and where he was in Okinawa, there wasn't any other people who were Christians but him and his roommate. They shared a room, and they had bunk beds in the room was really anti-Christian. So this guy was trying to think of a way he could bring him into Christ, try to get him to go to church. He wouldn't do any of those things. Finally, this guy was learning Scripture, memorizing Scriptures on cards. And so he talked his roommate, who was anti-God, he goes, look, help me learn these Scriptures. So he would give him the card, and the guy would quote a passage, you know, Psalms 23, 1, and then 
the man would say it. So he was trying to get the Bible into his friend. And, and one night, they were, they were in the book of 1 Peter. And the, there's a passage in 1 Peter 2 where it says, Christians are a chosen people and a peculiar people. And his friend interrupted him. He said, you're right. You guys sure are peculiar people. That's okay. That's okay. Years, uh, several years ago, I was talking to a pretty educated person in another state. I talked to him about Jesus dying and Jesus arising. And Jesus is how you find forgiveness and you find salvation. You know what he said to me? Not real politely. He said, that is nonsense. That hurt my feelings, but it didn't cause me to back away from what I was trying to share with him. See, here's the problem with so many of us. We are so concerned what everybody else thinks that we're not fulfilling our ambassadorship here on this earth. And Paul, listen to what Paul, Paul didn't care if people thought he was crazy. Jesus didn't care if people thought he was crazy. You're going to answer someday not to your friends. You're going to answer someday to God. And what I found out is peer pressure doesn't end in second grade or the 12th grade. It doesn't end in college. It, it's with you the rest of your life. Look, Quit worrying about what other people think and you give your life to Christ and you follow Christ and you spend your life helping as many other people as you can come to Jesus. Joshua, there was a youth minister. You'll be able to relate to this story in many ways. They were coming back from a youth trip. He was driving the van. It was late in the night and they were in, pulled in a, a gas station, kind of a, a place they could go in and get some candy and drinks and fill up. Him and one of the older youth went in there. It was late at night in a small area. There was nobody in there but the lady at the cash register, and she was crying. So the youth minister just started talking to her, asked her what was wrong. And as they talked, the youth minister began to share Jesus with her. Well, the older youth with him darted out of the convenience store. About 15, 10 or 15 minutes later, the youth minister came out and got in the van, and that youth looked at him, and he goes, youth, you know, whatever the guy's name was, he goes, don't you ever do that again. Did you see how embarrassed that woman was? And that youth pastor looked at that young man whose name is Jeff, and he said, Jeff, that lady just gave her life to Jesus Christ. You were the one embarrassed. Are you embarrassed about Jesus? You see, some of you today need to give your life to Christ more than you need to do anything else ever, and you're not going to do it because of pride. What will my wife think? What will my husband think? What will my parents think? What will my teammates think? What will my friends think? Don't go to hell because you're afraid of what other people are going to think. And you Christians, some of us, we're living 50-50 for God. 50 for God, 50 for the world, because we're worried about what other people are going to think. Stop it. And we don't ever try to bring other people to Christ because that would look offensive. Stop it. God says, look, quit worrying about what people think and spend your life being my ambassador. I want to read to you a quote that I saw recently. I don't know who said it, but I think it's really good. I think it applies to us today. A moment can change a day. And a day can change a life. And one life can change the world. Wow. In this moment right now, let's say you're not a Christian. In the next moment, you can give your life to Christ and you can leave here. And and, and in a moment, your day will be changed. Your life will be changed. Your eternity will be changed. And if you are a Christian, listen to what could happen. 
If you'll let it. You could say to God, God, today I'm going from this point forward to be your ambassador. No matter what it costs me. I want to tell you in a moment, you could be changed. Your day could be changed. Your life could be changed. And you could spend the rest of your life changing other people's lives for eternity. If you just say yes to Christ. Will you? Let's pray. This morning, if you're a Christian, man, I hope that you will do whatever you need to do to get squared up with God, to become His ambassador, to live for Him with all your heart. If you're not a Christian or you're unsure and you're ready to give your life to Christ, pray with me right now. Just say, Jesus, I am a sinner. And I want to repent of my sins. Jesus, I believe you're God's son and that you died and arose for me. Jesus, come into my heart this morning. And I surrender my life to you. Let me have your attention. We're going to stand in a second. Maybe you just ask Christ to come into your life or you're ready to do that. I'd be happy to talk to you after church. I'll be over at this door. Or you can come when we stand and give your life to Christ. you got an opportunity today you may not ever have again. An opportunity to make a decision that can change your life forever. Do that. Maybe you'd like to join our church. You can do that after church. Or you can come when we stand and join us. Listen, we'd love for you to. We need you if God's leading you here and you need us. Come and join us. You're a Christian. Man, decision time. Maybe it's just getting right with God. Maybe that's the problem. Maybe today you want to come to the altar and pray for some people you know who don't know Christ. Maybe where you're standing or at the altar praying with a minister, you need to say to God, I've, I've wasted enough time from this point on, God, whatever or wherever I am, I'm going to be a missionary and an ambassador for you. That's what he's calling you to. You need to say yes. Let's stand. You come now as God leads you. Thank you.